Hello and welcome to another episode of Tactical Edge. I'm Siobhan Cleveland, 4th Air Force Public Affairs. Today we introduce a new series, Getting to Know Your 4th Air Force Leadership. And here joining us for the conversation is 4th Air Force Vice Commander, Colonel Mark Ritchie. Hello, sir. Hello, Siobhan. How are you today? I'm pretty good. I am glad that it's autumn and things are cooling off here in Southern California. Yes, it's actually my favorite time of year. I'm a big college football fan, and I do like when the weather cools off, but yet the days are still warm. I I, I like that, so I'm with you there. I, I get fired up for autumn. Absolutely. Okay, so we're just gonna go ahead and start off with, with the question, why? Why you began or started your Air Force journey? Great question, Siobhan. Thanks for asking that. Um, we recently spoke about the why in reference to Simon Sinek and how important the why is. And I think it's it's really important for all of us, citizen airmen in particular, we understand the why of what we're doing. We give up our weekends, we give up our spare time, and we do uh, some things at great sacrifice uh, while balancing our family and personal lives along with our civilian career. For me, the why, why I started my Air Force journey was pretty simple. I'm extremely patriotic. I was fortunate to grow up in a home uh, that is a very patriotic, country-loving home. And um, I came from grandparents that were immigrants from Ireland. And because of that experience, um, it had really come down through my family that just being in this country, we were just very fortunate to be here. And for me, I had always wanted to serve, always. And, um, and so that was my initial why. During college, I, I went to look into ROTC. Um, but at the time, that was during the post-Gulf War I drawdown. And the options were very limited at the time. So I pursued my, uh, my academics and went into accounting and finance as I was studying in college and had a great corporate job. I had a fantastic corporate job in terms of my age and responsibility and travel and the things that I was doing. It was really fantastic. But I can pinpoint it to one experience where I was on a long business trip to Indonesia, the fourth largest nation in the world in terms of population. And uh, I had spent many months working there because of my job. And one day I was driving from my hotel to the airport along this river that went through downtown Jakarta, Indonesia. And I noticed um, in this river, I noticed a dead cow. And then as we drove along further, I noticed people um, playing, little kids playing in the river. And then I noticed further down people washing their clothes. And then I noticed further down people were gathering their drinking water. And it was just a very, um, it was just, it was, you know, I had grown up in a patriotic home and I was very thankful for where we live. But I think many people, as they travel overseas, they do develop an affinity for the great life that we have in America. And my experience was no exception to that. And just that day, I was just overwhelmed with gratitude for what we have and, and the country we live in. And it's an imperfect union, but boy, it's just so much better and just such a great place. And the values that we hold true are just so important. And uh, after that trip, when I went back to my home where I was living at the time in San Diego, I went right to a naval recruiter. You'll like this because you're former Navy. 
I went right to a naval recruiter and said, I would like to be a pilot in the Navy. And that recruiter uh, told me something that was not true <laughs> and told me, I know none of us have ever been told anything that was untrue by, by recruiter. recruiters. No. Yes. Um, and, and I love my recruiters out there. Love you all. But um, he told me that you had to have a technical degree to be a, a pilot in the Navy, which is not the case. So not knowing any better, I went next door to the Air Force recruiter and said, I would like to be a pilot in the Air Force. And this was when things were starting to swing back up from the Gulf War I drawdown. And it was um, early on when they were starting to assess pilots again. And so the numbers of applicants versus the slots available were overwhelming. The odds of getting it were overwhelmingly not in my favor. And uh, because for me, it was such a push of, of patriotism and desire to serve, um, I, I, I told the Air Force I'd put together a package and went through the process of applying. But I also went to the Army recruiter and said, if this Air Force thing doesn't work out, I'd like to be a tank commander in the Army. And so um, for me, it was, it was just a desire to serve coupled with a background of patriotism and at that point in time, my desire to serve was insatiable. And whether it was going to be in the Air Force, the Army, or the Navy, it was going to happen. And boy, am I thankful for the way it worked out for me. Um, you know, and it's, it's kind of ironic, Siobhan, at the time, I didn't have the wherewithal to think about joining the Reserve or the Guard, uh, the, the part-time force, because um, I didn't even know really what existed. But boy, as I look back, and I've just... I really, truly, of my exposure to the citizen airmen over, you know, over a decade now of being in the reserve and the guard, I've just realized that the citizen airmen is just such an amazing construct. We have people who come who are doctors, lawyers, attorneys, school teachers, civil engineers, any number of medical providers. They're just all these people come from all these diverse backgrounds. And not only do they bring their skill set to the table in the Air Force Reserve in terms of their AFSC, but their civilian background as well. So since that time, I look back and go, boy, if I had known about the Guard Reserve, I would have probably gone that route. But I'm not going to second guess the way things have turned out. I'm really thankful to be where I'm at. So thank you for asking. Wow. And as fate would have it, you're here. So yes. thank you for sharing <laughs> that, sir. Yeah. And, and we talk about a diversity in your background. I know that you have a very diverse background, active duty, guards, guard, reserves. Um, talk a little bit about how your diverse experience, uh, what takeaways you have from that diversity in the Air Force. Well, thanks. Yes, Siobhan, it's, it's been a great journey. Um, 10 years of active duty special operations, flying the MC-130. And then uh, from there, I actually spent one year in the reserves in an, an attached unit, uh, an associate unit at that unit. So I was able to transition to the reserves while I was waiting to see what kind of fell out in my civilian life. And then once that kind of solidified, I uh, moved to Maryland to be a part of the Maryland Air National Guard, where I also flew C-130s there and C-27s as well. And that was a great experience. Um, for me, it was very eye-opening to see a wonderful group of professionals that were able to fill, fulfill UTCs, combat UTCs, uh, but still doing their civilian pursuits. And that's where I really found an affinity for uh, the Guard and Reserve, for our part-time force. 
and um, and then from there, I uh, our, my unit, my guard unit, actually, we lost our planes and were closed. And uh, I was fortunate enough to fall on my feet and head out to Colorado, where I was able to fly in the C-130 Reserve Unit there at Peterson Air Force Base. Uh, an amazing unit, great, great people. And the really neat thing about that, too, is that I was able to deploy and fly and fight in the C-130, but was able to partake in a special mission there called MAFS, Modular Airborne Firefighting System, the aerial firefighting unit from the C-130s. And that was just an amazing experience, great experience. And it was a fantastic journey where I was able to do squadron command and all that. And then um, from there, I went uh, to a staff job at NORAD Northcom when I was promoted to 06 to Colonel. And uh, it was just a very um, wonderful and and unexpected uh, time spent there as I thought I was going to just kind of go part-time and minimal, you know, just do my best to to contribute, but not a large investment of time and energy. But um, shortly after my training, they asked me to be full-time there as a command center director at NORAD Northcom. And this was when uh, Kim Jong-un was launching missiles out of North Korea, and NORAD, of course, uh, processes these events and handles those events, and it was just fantastic. And it's, it was such an interesting time, and this is another thing I really enjoy about the reserve experience is that we can on-ramp and off-ramp from part-time to full-time, uh, as an IMA, as a traditional reservist, as an ART, AGR, all these different opportunities available. And I was really reluctant to leave the unit when I took that opportunity to go to the combatant command because I didn't know what I didn't know. And for me, it was a great experience because out of that, it really filled my tank. What I thought was going to be something I wouldn't enjoy, it was something that reinfused and reinvigorated my career because not only was it something that I didn't like, it was something that I loved. And it, it helped me form new neural pathways, new interests. I learned new skill sets. And, and um, so it was just a really a great turning point for me that pretty much instilled upon me that I'm going to serve until they kick me out of the door, Siobhan. So uh, that was great, too. And uh, after that, I went to be the vice wing commander at Seymour Johnson for the refueling wing there. Uh, went to the Pentagon and worked in uh, A5, and now I'm here. So uh, it, it's been quite a journey, and, and thanks for asking. What an experience, sir. Wow. Wow, that's a lot. And um, it's obviously contributed so much to your career. So Yeah, and thank you. And, and you know what? I, I did learn something really neat from that experience. That all my diverse background that you referenced is, you know, and all those things that I did and the different things – there were times where I, I took a leap of faith and, and didn't go necessarily where I wanted to go, but where I was needed, right? And, and boy, I sure learned a lot about the power of going where you're needed versus going necessarily where you want to. You know, we all have our desires and everything, but I learned in that time of when I went where I was needed— I felt like I was able to make bigger contributions and felt like I was able to engage more than I would have otherwise. And so I would just implore upon people and my citizen airmen and 4th Air Force that I just love working with is 
there's some there's something too going where you're needed versus going where you want and that was a big thing that I took away from that diverse background wow thank you sir for sharing that uh, that is so important um, what's a story uh, or, or experience during your career um, I would say that that means the most to you I know you've had a, an extensive career <laughs> um, but share maybe a story that that meant a lot to you boy that's a that's a tough one Siobhan thanks for asking that um, active duty guard reserve um, just a lot of different things um, uh, you know a lot of combat deployments um, you know when I look I, I recently reviewed um, something as I was doing a records review and and saw the, the number of combat sorties I've flown. So there's just been a lot of really impactful things where I felt like we were doing some really good things. Um, but when I think about <clears throat> really the top experiences, I would say definitely one just comes to the forefront of my mind. Um, when I was in special operations, we were down in Columbia, not South Carolina, but South America. And we were doing some work down there that as we often did in special operations. And while we were down there, my crew and I, at the end of a long day of, of doing some security cooperation training with the Colombians, we got a call um, that a Colombian military helicopter had crashed in the Andes and that people had already died and that more would die soon. And uh, we were asked what we could possibly provide to getting these people out of there. And so me and my crew, we dug in, we started looking at airfield surveys, seeing what was available in relation or in proximity to the coordinates of this crash site. And with that, what we, what we came up with was a plan that uh, some of the Colombians that we'd been working with that day had access to a helicopter relatively close to the crash. Uh, and it was just by sheer luck, the people we were with were the only night vision goggle helicopter crew in the Colombian Air Force. So um, we had to plan some really uh, challenging work to get into the Andes, into this base, the weather was bad, a lot was going on, and we had to be very creative in how we did it. So we were able to fly this crew into this helicopter, and then we uh, relocated to an airstrip closer to the crash while this helicopter crew went in and got the people out of the crash and then brought them to our plane, and then we flew them back to Bogota, to the capital, to the Tier 1 medical facility. And uh, the next day, the, uh, the commander of uh, Sox South, General Cleveland at the time, flew down to uh, recognize our crew for saving 14 lives. And that was, um, that was a great opportunity to just feel good about the gravity of what we do. You know, and, and yes, that, that's, a, that's a pretty, you know, uh, you know, an example of that's really acute in terms of the intensity and life and death. But it's important to me that all of our citizen airmen understand that whether whatever your job is, whatever you do in the Air Force Reserve, whether you're contributing to nuclear deterrence at one of our KC-135 wings, whether you're a part of OAR recently, of our air mobility wings and our C-17s, you are all a very important part 
of the things that are taking place in our world and extending our our foreign uh, diplomacy as an important part of the Department of Defense and and supporting our diplomacy efforts and and supporting our national objectives. And I would also, you know, if if you wouldn't mind, one more example kind of comes to mind as I'm as I'm sitting here reflecting on the citizen airman experience. Something else comes to mind is. Um, when I was uh, running the command center at NORAD Northcom as a command center director one night, uh, very early or late at night or early in the morning, depending on how you would look at it, um, we had to process a nuclear detonation in North Korea. And as, as we were there um, talking, I had the opportunity to um, provide information uh, to the Secretary of Defense. And, you know, as this was going on, I can clearly delineate that nobody in this process was asking me, hey, Mark, are you a reservist or are you active duty? And, and to me, as I was doing this and helping provide the information in this extremely important world event that was going on, it just dawned upon me that nobody was saying, are you a reservist or are you active duty? We were just working and going. And for my citizen airmen in Fourth Air Force, my, my brothers and sisters in arms, I would just say that what you do is so important and the readiness posture that you maintain is so important and that you need to manage your moments because there's going to come a point in time, a day, a week, a month, where you may be called upon to fulfill that UTC, that mission, that important staff event, that important, whatever it might be. And they're not going to be asking if you're reserve or active duty. And you have to be postured. You have to be educated and prepared and ready to step up and fulfill that, that mission. And uh, so that's another event that really stands out in my career in terms of my citizen airman journey that just reminded me of the importance of this. When our, when our crews, our air crews fly into combat and they go into harm's way, the enemy doesn't say, hey, everybody put your weapons down. That's clearly a re reserve airplane flying. No. So I just, you know, I try to share that story with my friends and my brothers and sisters in the reserve that we have to be ready at all times to step up and fulfill the mission, the job, the staff role, whatever it might be. And nobody is going to be asking if you're active duty or reserve. You've got to be ready to go. What a powerful uh, point and message, sir. A very impactful um what are some of, of the important some, some some of the important things you've learned along the way? You've shared some, uh, sure. Uh, but give us a few more of some of the important things that you've learned. Thank you, and, and thanks. That's a great question, and and I appreciate this opportunity to sit down with you and share these things, because I'm hoping to connect with somebody out there in Fourth Air Force and and hopefully engage and and then maybe even inspire, um, you know, through the sharing of stories and. And I would say that, <clears throat> boy, one of the one of the things, and it's funny because I was listening to a podcast this morning as I was doing the stairs and doing my daily exercise, and um, and the podcast I was listening to, the the person speaking on the podcast made a statement that growth and comfort never coexist, and boy, that's something I've learned along the way. I hadn't. It wasn't until this morning on the podcast that I heard that, that I'm like, oh, this is great. Um, and that's really, 
something for me, um, I've never thought of myself as the smartest, fastest, fill in the blank, right? But I've always tried to expand my capabilities. I've always tried to work harder and open my mind to new ways of doing things and trying to learn more and grow more. And I would just say that, you know, when I think about that saying that growth and comfort never coexist, that, you know, I look back on my career, I had a, I had a very um, formative moment with a former AFRIC general, uh, General Mike Kim. Uh, he used to be the MA to the uh, commander of the Air Force Reserve. And, um, and when I went to squadron commander school at, uh, at the AFRIC headquarters, General Kim came in with us one night at happy hour and sat down and, and he shared with me, he said, you know, ever since I took squadron command, I have always felt like I was just so far behind the learning curve in every single assignment I have been in since squadron command. And I'm looking at this guy, General Kim. He was C-17 initial cadre. I mean, just, just highly regarded as one of the great minds in Africa of his time. And here he was admitting in a very humble moment that every assignment he had ever taken since squadron command, he always felt nervous and anxious because he felt uh, that he didn't know what he was doing and had so much to learn and had so much. But of course, clearly he found his way. And I took that to heart. And that has been a very similar journey to me is that in, in I would say every assignment since squadron command as well, just like General Kim, that for me, Every time I've started out, I always felt like there's so much to learn. There's so much to know. It, it felt overwhelming. But because growth and comfort never coexist, you know, I realized that give yourself the opportunity to learn and grow and take those opportunities to really allow yourself to be uncomfortable. And in doing so, you're going to grow. And that's, that's really something for so long. I was a C-130 TAC airlift pilot through and through, loved doing what I was doing. And it wasn't until I got out of the squadron and started taking on new challenges and new things that not only did I enjoy it, but it became my fuel for growth, for being able to offer my country new capabilities that I hadn't been able to before. That's a big one that I, I learned along the way. And uh, let's see, uh, that I would say something else that I've learned along the way that's been very impactful to me, and it's, it's a statement that I heard a long time ago before I even joined the Air Force, was that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I've seen that applied, not just in, 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 in my application and in in execution of my leadership roles and in my duties, but I would also say that I've learned that and watching others. And that is just one of the biggest lessons I've learned is just you can be the smartest, you can be the sharpest, which I'm not any of those things, but you can be those things. But if you don't care for those around you and you don't let them know that you care and not, not just act like you care, but genuinely invest, genuinely take the time not only will you find greater results, but I think that you're going to enjoy the journey so much more, and it'll be so much richer. And, um, you know, that 
it hasn't been an it hasn't been a perfect journey. There's been some some tough times along the way, and and, and you know down that the line of caring for people, um, I, I did have a difficult experience um, many years ago. Uh, a friend of mine who was the DO of the flying squadron actually uh, took his own life, and uh, I was sharing with the staff this morning in the staff meeting something that. I, you know, as I'm thinking about it, I feel like sharing with the 4th Air Force Airmen here at, at the Tactical Edge. But it's just, there's so much going on in all of our lives, particularly for citizen airmen. And resiliency has become such a big catchword, but it's not just a catchword for no reason. There's a lot going on. There's social unrest. There's a pandemic. There is financial constraints, fiscal constraints, mandates, all these things are going on and there's so much going on. And, and what I've learned along the way and in doing research for my friend who took his life, I wanted to understand what more I could have done to help with that situation, if there's anything I could have done. And like I shared with the staff this morning, what I learned was that more or less everybody has a container of what they can handle emotionally from a resiliency standpoint. And some of us have a great big 55-gallon drum of all the things that we can handle, and some of us have just a thimble. And it's not a commentary on on people's differing capacities to handle uh, what they can emotionally or spiritually or otherwise, but that's just the way it is. We're all different, and that's what makes it a, a beautiful journey. But what I did learn was that as we fill up our individual containers, and let's say you fill it up with, um, you know, maybe you have a tough boss and it fills up, and maybe you have a sick child at home and you fill it up. The problem is no matter what the size of your container is and no matter who you are, once that container reaches full volume, all it takes is one more drop and you've exceeded your capacity. Well, what I've learned along the way and through this experience was that it's important for each and every one of us to try to influence our workplace environment, our friendships, our relationships, whatever we can do to try to take out of that container so that when somebody comes to work with their container, well, you're a supportive boss. So you're taking out of their container. You're helping empty their container to free up more capacity, more margin for people to, to deal with things. And so I try to impress upon my fellow citizen airmen of Fourth Air Force that you, you're all leaders. If you have friends, you're a leader. Leadership co lies with influence. And so, yes, we have our boss, our awesome boss, General Pennington. Clearly, he is the leader of the NAF, our numbered Air Force. But within our numbered Air Force, we are filled with leaders. And just because you maybe don't have the positional authority, if you have influence, you're a leader. And what I would like to try to share with everyone is, is if you have influence, you have the capability to make your workplace environment, your home, your, your community a better place 
by being the type of person that helps empty people's buckets, your coworkers, your friends, your families, those people in your unit. And that's what I've learned along the way is everybody can be somebody who's helping other people increase their capacity to deal with things by how they conduct themselves at work and, and at their homes and everywhere else. So um, I know it's a lot. Th- those are some of the things that I've learned along my journey. And, and thank you for asking. Oh, thank you, sir. I mean, it's a very powerful message. And uh, I know that our, our reserve citizen airmen will appreciate your your candor um, and your 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 Yes, your, your story, your experience. Um, I know that it will reach a lot through Tactical Edge, right? So um, I, I think that's pretty much all I have for today. Is there any last words that you'd like to share with, with our audience? Yeah, a great big thank you. Just a great big huge thank you to the citizen airmen, not just in 4th Air Force, but every citizen airman out there who's choosing to bring their talents to the table on their weekends, taking time away from their families, adding stress, adding pressure to serve our country. And and on a personal level, I'm just very thankful to our fellow citizen airmen who give up their free time and bring their skill set to the table to provide me and my family the security that we enjoy. So that's what I would like to end with is a great big thank you. Go forth and conquer. Thank you, sir. And with that, um, that's that's all for Tactical Edge today. Remember, you can now stream all previous episodes of the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Divid, SoundCloud, and YouTube. And don't forget to follow and subscribe so you can get the latest and greatest from Fort Air Force. I'm Siobhan Cleveland. Thanks for listening.